Well, good morning. It is April 5th, 2020. It is Palm Sunday, and I hope you and your family are doing well as we have uh, had to shelter in place for some time now, I guess since Friday after the governor's order, as we move through this um, coronavirus pandemic. It's been kind of scary. I know for a lot of um, you, as you hear the news and um, what's going on, it's still spreading. It's still scary. We're trying to be safe. And it's, uh, you know, it's made a lot of us change a lot of things we do in our lives. It's been very crazy, very weird for a lot of us. And I just want to encourage you to hang in there. Um, we are grateful for uh, those who are trying to find a cure for those on the front lines, uh, those at the hospitals, nurses, doctors, those who are getting supplies to hospitals and people. We want to... Um, we're very thankful for those people. We want to continue to pray for them. Pray for those who have the coronavirus. Pray for those who are making critical decisions. Pray for those who are in labs every day trying to figure out a, a vaccine or a cure of some kind, something that will relieve this. And so we just continue to ask you to pray and hope you'll be joining us as we have for several weeks now with our 447 uh, prayer initiative as we look at Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 and read through that and um, reflect on that and specifically pray for the different aspects of the coronavirus. Well this morning I'm actually not at church. I'm actually in my front yard sitting on a swing here and uh, uh, since we have been given the order to shelter in place, I'm trying to abide by that, and uh, we have actually closed the office this week. We had been coming into the office. There's been less than 10 of us, and we've been practicing our social distancing, but with this new order, we felt like we needed to maybe tighten up things a little bit to be safe, and so we're trying to abide by those rules as well. Well, today, as I mentioned, is Palm Sunday, and... Uh, uh, historically in the church we've called it Palm Sunday. It's the day we remember from the gospel accounts um, that Jesus came into Jerusalem right before uh, the Passover celebration. And Jesus' teaching and his popularity and his reputation for healing and miracles had convinced many people that he certainly was the Messiah, that he certainly was the Savior that was to come, that the prophets had talked about for so long. And they were excited about this because that meant possibly that they would be out from under the control of Rome. Well, Jesus was certainly going to do something big in Jerusalem, but the people, I think, were expecting him to do something very different than what he actually did. As he came into Jerusalem, they had seen his um, healings. They had witnessed his miracles. They had heard about his teachings and his authority. They knew that he had to be from God. So they were expecting something great. So as he came into town, as he was riding on a donkey, uh, they laid down their, their coats, their cloaks. They laid down palm branches and different kind of tree branches along the road. And they said, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that would be short-lived because by the end of the week, many of those people, when they saw that Jesus was not going to use his power to do what they had hoped he would do, they were frustrated. They were angry. And those cries would go from Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna, to the king of Israel, to crucify him, give us Barabbas. And so it changed very quickly. So I would encourage you this week to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read those four gospel accounts towards the end of Jesus' last week. Look at what Jesus taught on this week. Uh, we hear and listen to the parables of judgment. We hear some 
confrontations he has with some of the religious leaders, but there's great stuff there, and you can see exactly what Jesus went through. Especially in John's Gospel, you'll see these specific prayers that Jesus had during his Passover feast uh, with his disciples. So I would encourage you to do that. But this morning, we are going to continue on our series that I've been working on called The Words from the Cross. And I want to share the last two things that Jesus said from the cross. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. Oz Genesis shares uh, an interview he had with John R. W. Stott. I don't know if you know who John Stott is, but he was an amazing preacher, an amazing Bible teacher, evangelist, author, and global leader. Uh, he was also the rector at All Souls Langham Place in London, England. And I've read some of his books, and he was just an incredible scholar. Um, but Oz Genesis had the opportunity, he said, I, I, he said he knew him for several decades, and he said he will never forget his last visit with John Stott when he visited him beside his bedside three weeks before he died. He says, after an un unforgettable hour or more of sharing many memories over the years, I asked him how he would like me to pray for him. Lying weakly on his back and barely able to speak, he answered in a hoarse whisper, pray that I will be faithful until Jesus gives me my last breath. As I think about that prayer request, I wonder, what would I ask for if I was dying in bed and someone asked to pray for me? Maybe healing, maybe a miracle. But John Stott asked for, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus, be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. I wonder what my last words will be. Have you ever thought about that? What will your last words be? What will people remember as the last few things that you said as you were dying. As we've looked at Jesus' last words, we've looked and heard that Jesus said to forgive those who he said did not know what they were doing at his crucifixion. We have heard Jesus give a dying criminal hope as he promised him he would be in paradise with him that day. We've heard Jesus make plans to care for his own mother. We have heard Jesus ask a questions that humans throughout history have asked. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And last week we heard Jesus expressed his physical thirst. And in all these words I have shared some thoughts, I've shared some things that I've read about and studied on, information I have gathered and speculations on the things that Jesus has said thus far. But today we finally get to the words we read in the gospel accounts of Jesus on the cross, the last two words we believe. And these words have also throughout history have had their share of commentators and people give speculations and thoughts on exactly what Jesus meant in these last words. All four gospel accounts let us know that Jesus physically died. Mark and Luke tell us Jesus breathed his last. Matthew and John tell us he gave up his spirit. Today we want to look at what appears to be the last two things that Jesus said on the cross. And I want to start with what John said in his gospel, it is finished. Now what did Jesus mean by this, it is finished? Well surely he meant more than simply his life was finished. But when we realize how many times in the gospels that we read about Jesus and what his purpose was, this seems to make sense. And so what I want to go through is a lot of these verses I'm about to read will be from John's Gospel. But I want you to see and realize how many times Jesus let those who heard him know that he knew exactly what he was here for. He knew what his mission was. He knew what he was supposed to accomplish here on earth. I want to start with John's Gospel in the first part, chapter 1, verse 1. And this may be familiar to you. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then you remember John says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not receive Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born of natural descent, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. So was Jesus saying, I'd finished making the way to become a child of God accessible now by saying it is finished? I would have to say yes. John tells us in chapter 3 when he has that famous um, conversation with Nicodemus who was a religious leader, a Pharisee. And John records Jesus saying this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So again, was Jesus saying, by saying, it is finished, was He saying, I have finished saving the world? I'd have to say yes. In John 6, Jesus said this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those He has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Was Jesus saying that He had finished what His Father's will was on the earth? Again, I'd have to say yes, I believe that's what He was saying. In Luke chapter 7, verse 22 and following, John the Baptist was in prison. Herod had arrested him. And John and his disciples were wondering why Jesus maybe hadn't done anything to try to release John. And so John sent some of his disciples to talk to Jesus, and they asked, Are you the one who was to come, or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus replied to them, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached. Was Jesus saying He had finished what the one who was to come was supposed to do? And again, I would have to say, yes, I believe that's what Jesus was saying. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am till it is completed. Again, was Jesus saying by it is finished? Was He saying that He had finished the baptism that He was going to have to undergo? I would have to say yes. In John chapter 12, John, Jesus says this, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So was Jesus saying he had accomplished glorifying God's name? And I would have to say yes. In John 14, 6, a very familiar passage, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Was Jesus saying that he had finished making the way, the truth, and the life to God available to all people, I'd have to say yes. And I could go on and on throughout the Gospels of all these things where Jesus specifically told us what, he, what His purpose was and what He was here on this earth for. But what ultimately I believe Jesus was saying was finished when He said those words, it is finished, was all that He was sent to do in His 33 years. It culminated, obviously, here with His sacrifice on the cross. What God sent Him to do was done. It was finished. 
All of humanity had, had been reconciled to God the Father through Jesus' perfect, once and for all, sacrifice. In the original Greek language, the word for finished is used here in what we've read today and also at the verse also in the verse that we looked at last week where John said, later knowing that all was now completed or finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And Jesus is saying this according to the Greek in what is called perfect, passive, or submissive, indicative, or pinpointing verb in third person. Again, in the Greek language, it is in this tense, the perfect, passive, indicative, and in third person. It is the third person. The work of Christ is finished, is accomplished, is paid in full. That's what that Greek word means. Finished, accomplished, paid in full. And so what Jesus had done was accomplished, finished, paid in full all of the sins of the world. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had done this, he breathed his last. Now Jesus knows, and we can tell from this verse, Jesus knows he will be with his Father, and he has submitted not only his life, but now he submits in his death his spirit to his Father. And though we're talking about a passive and submissive tense in the verb form here, Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Now the verb form may be passive, and it, was, it wasn't, certainly wasn't a, a submissive act that Jesus was doing, but Jesus is clear. He, the Father, the Spirit, third person, if you will, they were actively saving the world through Jesus' crucifixion. Now it seemed like that day that those who were involved in convicting Jesus, as putting Jesus on the cross, it looked like they were the ones who were actively killing Jesus and getting rid of Him. But 2,000 and 20 years later, and all through all those 2,020 years of transformed lives, transformed lives and counting, they have clearly indicated what really happened that day. Jesus was the one. God was the one who was saving the world. He was the one who was actively saving and reconciling us to himself. Tullian Shuvijan, who is um, Billy Graham's grandson, shared this in an um, Christianity Today article a few years ago. He said this, The truth is, we typically live this way, frantically and frustratingly searching for something we already have. The gospel is God's good news announcement that everything we need, everything we already possess, we have in Christ. Because of Jesus' finished works, Christian, Christians already have all of the justification, all of the approval, all of the significance, security, freedom, validation, love, righteousness, and rescue that we desperately long for and look for in a thousand things infinitely smaller than Jesus. Unfortunately, we, we allow this internal voice, one that constantly says, do this and live, 
to drown out the external voice that shouts, It is finished. There was and there is nothing else to be done. Jesus has already done it. We simply believe by faith through this amazing grace and we receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life and we're reconciled to God. Yeah, but don't you need to? Stop. Aren't you supposed to? No. Don't you have to? See, we try to add all these extra things in and pile things up on top of what Jesus has already done, what needed to be done. And when we do that, we don't really recognize what an amazing thing that Jesus did for us, that that was enough. When we try to add things, we go against the perfect, the submissive and pinpointing act of Jesus in His words, it is finished. As I close today, I'd like to encourage you again today to spend some time and worship with your family right there maybe in your living room. Maybe come outside like I am today and uh, get together, gather around, uh, read some scripture, watch a, a service on TV, watch some praise music, sing together. But I want to encourage you to have communion together. And again, you don't have to have exactly what we usually have at church to have communion. You can use whatever you have in your house. But as you take communion together, I would like you to think about these last words of Jesus. It is finished. He paid the price. He paid the price in full, once and for all, for your sins, for my sins, for all the sins of the world. And that's something we certainly need to celebrate. I want to read for you from our uh, from Titus, uh, Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And that is our scripture that we would have used today if we were meeting together for our time of communion. And listen to what Paul says. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that we, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Well, I hope you've uh, been challenged. I hope you've um, been encouraged by what I've read today. And I hope you will stay safe. I want to encourage you not only to get together and have worship, but also want to encourage you that if you want to um, share uh, through an act of worship your offering of your gift, you can certainly mail that to the church. You can also go to our um, webpage and there's an online button there you can click online giving and you can give that way and you guys have been so amazing about sending in your gifts and offerings and we are so grateful for that we know that that's going to keep the church going it's also going to allow us to uh, help people continue to support our missionaries all over the world so we thank you in advance for that gift for that act of worship through your giving well I want to encourage you this holy week uh, as you go through the week to think about this was Jesus last week and again I encourage you like I did at the beginning to read the Gospels and read about what Jesus actually did this week but I hope you'll stay safe I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunities that we have online um, our children's minister uh, Deanna Peacock and uh, Kathy Screws are putting out things on a weekly basis for our kids and Isaiah Ross our student minister is putting out things uh, so that you can keep your uh, students involved, middle schoolers and high schoolers, so I appreciate what they're doing. And um, uh, I know Kevin's been putting out some worship songs, and 
Um, so be looking for more things from us at Southwest. We hope to be able to do a Resurrection Sunday uh, service uh, next week online for you. I'm not sure exactly how that's all going to pan out. We're going to try to edit a bunch of our videos doing parts of the service together and get that out for you next week. So I hope you'll be looking for that. But God bless you. Stay safe. Continue to pray for those with the coronavirus. Join in on our 447 prayer initiative and hope you have a great week.